This morning, Freddie's going to come and read to us from God's Word from John chapter 17. We started last week in John 17. Of course, we're just working through the book of John together. The first five verses last week focusing on Jesus' prayer for himself. How he was facing this very difficult time. The most difficult thing that he would ever face, his death. And he went through it and he prayed about it. And the things we learned last week help us as we think about what to be praying for in our own lives. This week, John 17, verses 6 through 19, Jesus focuses his prayer on his disciples. You know, it's good to pray for believers. It's good to pray for Christians. Look around this morning. We have many people in our church this morning that are believers in Jesus Christ, that know Him as their personal Savior. Some who even gave testimony of that, even last week as they were baptized. Have you ever thought about what God wants us to do in praying for other believers, in praying for followers of Jesus Christ? Freddie's going to come. You come now and read to us from John chapter 17, verse 6 through 19. Listen as he reads. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept my word, thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I come out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to, to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them my thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Amen. Thankful for God's Word. I want to just let you know of a couple things we're looking forward to. Next week, we're going to celebrate some graduates. We have some very small graduates this year, and we have a couple of kindergarten graduates, so we're going to be celebrating them. We have an eighth grade graduate. We'll be celebrating them as well next Sunday. You want to be here for that. And I'm so excited this week. I was on the phone with several other folks from different churches and different places. We're putting together a youth rally on June the 1st, and our teenagers, we're excited to have you be part of that. And this will be welcoming in some 6th graders coming into the youth group in 7th grade. It'll be a wonderful time. 
And uh, our teens, I think this next weekend, are having a camping trip. So they've got a lot of fun things coming up, and they'll be looking forward to that. And we're coming up in just a couple of weeks, I'm sorry, about three weeks, we're going to have our first meeting for those involved in our vacation Bible school. We have a lot of plans coming together for that. We're looking forward to that time. So adults, get ready. We're going to have a great time. Boys and girls, you know we're going to have a fun time. Every year when we finish VBS, boys and girls say to me, so are we going to do this again next week? And I say, well, ask your mom and dad. And uh, so far, the parents haven't come back, wanted to do it the next week. But uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity. Last year, uh, we had, I believe, 10 folks trust Christ during our Vacation Bible School. And as a result of Vacation Bible School, we have at least two new families that I know of in our church. And uh, so we look forward to that. Tonight is a special night. I'm going to talk more about all these things. We're going to have a family meeting tonight. And I'm excited about it. I want to share with you some of the blessings of things God has done so far this year in our church. You may know some of them, but that's one of the fun parts about being the pastor. You get to hear from a lot of different people about things that are going on from a lot of different places. And I want to be able to share with you what God has done so far in our church this year. And then we'll also be looking forward. All right, we're getting ready to head into a busy season of ministry and outreach opportunities, evangelistic opportunities. And I want you to know what's going on so that you can pray about it. We'll talk about prayer this morning, and so that you can be involved in serving in those ways as you're able to do that as well. So if you can't be here tonight, 5 o'clock, we're looking forward to a very special time. We're going to dismiss our boys and girls out right now with Brother Josh and Sister Anna to their junior church time, and uh, there they go. All right, let's take our Bibles, turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We had a lot of fun this past Wednesday night giving out all the awards to the boys and girls for all their work in Awana, and uh, so thankful for all of the leaders who were involved in that. They did such a great job. Children quoted scripture to us. In fact, a number of the children are still memorizing scripture for their camp scholarship. I heard last week, though, from a few of the kids, not directly to me, but through the leaders, that they were afraid I was going to call them up and have them quote in front of everybody, and... uh, you ready? Well, I just sent some of them out. It might happen. I just want you to know, be prepared. I won't do it to you today, all right? Let's take John 17. John 17, we're looking at Jesus' prayer here in John 17. This is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus's that we have recorded for us in the Bible. And in this prayer, it's really in three distinct parts. We looked at part one last week as Jesus prayed for himself. Part two is this week as Jesus prays for his disciples, as Jesus prays for those who are believers. Next week, very important message, as Jesus prays for those who are lost. Now, Jesus really was praying for everybody in that prayer. He prayed for himself, he prayed for the Christians, and he prayed for the non-Christians. And I think it's important as we think about our own prayer life that we model after what Christ has taught us in his prayer life. Prayer is one of the most, I would say, most neglected spiritual relationship opportunities that we have. There are people that will spend hours studying their Bible and yet little time in prayer, communing and conversing back with God. Prayer, I think, is often underused because it's often misunderstood. We misunderstand the point of prayer and why we spend time in prayer, or perhaps we just don't know what we're supposed to pray about. 
And uh, sometimes, well, pray for this person. They're sick in the hospital. Pray about this situation or this person. And we kind of fly through our prayer list and we say, well, what is there to pray about? And I would tell you, as we look at the model of Christ's prayer here in John 17, we would say God wants to hear about everything. He wants us to talk about all kinds of different things in our prayer. And we're going to look at some of those things specifically this morning in John 17. Jesus says in verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. In these first few verses, verses 6, 7, and 8, Jesus gives us a bit of an introduction to his prayer for believers. He describes who these people are, how we know they're believers, and then he describes how they came to be believers, followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus said here, as I just read in verse 6, that he manifested thy name. Whose name? God's name. Jesus demonstrated, he taught, he shared with these disciples who God was. They learned who God was because of what Jesus taught them. Now, some of these men were men who understood the Old Testament. As Jewish men, they would have grown up being taught the law. And yet Jesus said that he had manifested or showed them who God was. Why could Jesus do that? Because Jesus was the Word become flesh. Jesus was God in human flesh. As these men, these disciples, interacted with Jesus, they were learning directly from God. They were seeing the works of God, the character of God, being demonstrated in real life. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's helpful for me to see an example of something being taken taking place, right? Seeing something in real life. It's one thing to describe something to you. It's another thing if you're actually there and see it with your own eyes. These disciples were able to see God at work with their own eyes. And isn't it interesting, as we've studied through the book of John, there was quite a bit of time that these disciples, and even really at this time, they didn't fully understand it all. They were able to see Jesus. They were able to talk with Jesus. They were able to walk with Him. They were able to interact with Him, and yet they still didn't fully understand what all He was doing. But Jesus says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. I think the first thing by way of introduction that we see in verse 6 is the, the people that are involved in this making of disciples. Jesus has disciples that are following Him. Who are these people involved? Well, the first one we have involved in this process is Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus is making these men or leading these men into a disciple relationship with Himself and ultimately pointing them to God. That's why Jesus says, I have manifested Thy name unto the men which Thou gavest me out of the world. So we have these people. Jesus is the first person, the part of this process, but the second would be those men that were given to Him, right? Who did they, where did these men came, come from? They came from God, right? He said, Thou, thine they were, and Thou gavest them me. 
See, these followers of Jesus Christ were followers who were learning of Christ, and they were learning to keep His Word. It says that at the end of verse 6, and they have kept thy word. In any disciple-making relationship, the spiritual relationship that I believe God would have us all to be in, you have someone who's the leader, someone who's leading someone in that process, and as human leaders, we're just pointing people to Christ, right? We're not here to make disciples of ourselves, we're here to make disciples of Christ. But then we have the follower, the person who's learning and coming along. You say, wow, that kind of looks like what's on the wall back here. It is, right? Win one, that's winning somebody to Christ, and then leading one, that's leading somebody in their relationship as they grow to become like Christ. And then follow one, that's following somebody else as they lead you into a closer relationship with Christ. That's what Jesus was doing with His disciples. Do you see it there in verse 6? But in verse 7 it says, Then now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. Not only do we have the people that are involved in disciple-making, we also have the proof, the proof that disciple-making works. What's the proof? We see it at the end of verse 6. They have kept thy word. And also in verse 7, now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. The Bible says just a few chapters back, John chapter 14 and verse 15, if ye love me, Keep my commandments. What is the proof that someone is becoming closer to Christ, that someone is growing in their relationship with Christ? The proof, as we would say, is in the pudding, right? The proof is in the fact that there is a changed life. For someone to claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and not have any real change going on in their life is someone who has to question whether or not they're really a follower in the first place. Because Jesus says, these men, they have kept thy word. They're learning to walk in obedience to God's word. Not only are they learning to walk in obedience, but it says in verse 7, they've known all things, that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. They're not just learning a few things from God's word. They're learning what the Bible teaches in a much broader sense, in the whole sense of God's Word. It's one thing to know a few things. All right, you're saved now. You better look like this. You better talk like this. You better not go here. You better only go here. Sometimes we try to boil down Christianity to just a simple set of do's and don'ts. But Christianity is so much more than just a list of do's and don'ts. It's about a personal relationship with an almighty God that's only made possible through the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us on the cross. And so a relationship is far greater than a list of do's and don'ts. If you're married this morning, you know if your marriage relationship is only about what you can do and can't do, you have a pretty bad marriage. Because you're going to be worried about all these details, and I'm not saying the details aren't important, but there's not a personal relationship there. See, the details come out when you're living the relationship as you should. If you love somebody, you're going to behave in a certain way. That's what Jesus said in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love Christ, there ought to be a change in your life. There's a proof 
The proof of disciple making. I would ask you this question. Do the people that you are leading to be more like Christ, do they know where the truth comes from? Now you say, well, I'm not really involved with anybody like that. The longer I study this, the more I believe everybody's discipling somebody whether or not they know it. You have people that are following you. You have people that are looking up to you. You have family members. You have co-workers. Some of you have children. Some of you have grandchildren. You have neighbors. You have people that are watching you. What are you teaching them? Are you teaching them where the truth comes from? That's what Jesus said he did with these disciples. He said, they know where the truth comes from. He says, they've kept thy word and they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. What's your testimony like? Are there people in your life that have been around you? And maybe you, maybe some of you I know would say, I've, I've been a Christian for many, many years. Do they know it? Do they know there's any difference about you? Do they know where the truth comes from? There's a proof of disciple making. I would tell you, everybody's discipling somebody whether they mean to or not. I believe as Christians, God has called us and Jesus has told us that we are to be intentional about how we're discipling people, leading them in the truth. Are the people that I am discipling learning to keep God's commandments? Are they becoming better followers of Him or are they just becoming better followers of me? I think about that as a dad. Am I just trying to get my children to do what I want them to do? Or am I ultimately trying to point them to Christ so that they'll do what God wants them to do? Now, I'm not saying, obviously we know the Bible says, children, obey your parents, but finish the verse. In the Lord, for this is right. Parents want their children to do what they tell them to do. But why do you want them to do what you tell them to do? It ought to be so that they would be doing it in the Lord, so that they would learn to obey and follow Christ. I don't want my children to obey me just so I can control them. I want them to obey me so that they can better understand what it's like to have a personal relationship with God and so that they can walk in close fellowship with Him. Same thing happens in a church. I get convicted as I study this passage thinking about my responsibilities as a pastor. Am I just here to control you and try to get you to do stuff so that we can put on a, a good-looking VBS program and so we can have some fun activities and so there's lots of people that show up? No, that's not why I'm here. It's my responsibility to teach you what the truth is and to let you know where the truth comes from and to help you to walk in the truth. Not so that you become followers of me, but that you become followers of Christ. See, Jesus is praying for his disciples, but he's helping us understand who these disciples are. There's the people involved in disciple-making. There's the proof of disciple-making. And then I would say in verse 8, we have a very simple explanation of the process involved in disciple-making. Read verse 8 with me. I'll read it out loud. You follow along. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. There's the first step, right? He's giving them the truth. Then he says, and they have received them. So there's a giving of the truth and there's a receiving of the truth. If I'm going to bring somebody into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I've got to tell them, how shall they hear without a preacher? 
How is a lost person going to know that they're lost until you share with them the truth? He says, I've given them the truth, and then they've received the truth. So there's a responsibility on the part of the hearer, right? There's a responsibility for you this morning coming to church. Some people feel like, well, I fulfilled my responsibility, I came. That's only the first step. I have a responsibility as a pastor to preach the truth. You have a responsibility as people listening to hear and receive the truth. You see the process taking place? It's a two-way street here. There's there's things going both directions. Jesus is giving them the truth, and then they're receiving the truth. And then it says, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. So they give, Jesus gave the truth, the disciples received the truth. Then I would tell you there becomes a confidence in the truth. It says, they have known surely that I came from thee. How do you develop your confidence in your faith? Think about it. I played a lot of basketball growing up. How did I get more confidence in my free throw shot? I practiced. I shot it again and again. There was a guy on my team in high school. I remember one day at practice, he made 65 free throws in a row and didn't miss one. That was impressive. He had practiced so much You could take him and put a blindfold on him, and he could still make the free throw. How could he do that? Muscle memory gained by practice. How do you become more confident in your faith? How did these disciples know surely that he came out from thee? Their confidence in their faith was developed as they saw Jesus faithfully living out the truth in front of them. And then as they experienced walking along with him by faith and saw Jesus do great works. Do you notice any change in the disciples the longer they walked with Christ? I think if you study the Gospels, you'll see a change. You'll see as they develop more confidence. And they still didn't have a whole lot of confidence. But see, they hadn't fully seen it all. But after Jesus rose from the dead, you see a dramatic change in the confidence of these disciples. These went from some scared, timid men hiding in an upper room to now becoming men who went out and the Bible says they literally turned the world upside down. What would cause 11 men, because we know one was lost. Actually, John 17 is going to mention that. Judas didn't follow Christ. But the other 11, what would cause those 11 to go from timid, hiding out in a room, afraid for their lives, to going out, setting the world on fire for Christ? They were confident in their faith because they saw Jesus living it out. They saw Jesus crucified. They saw Jesus risen again. They said, he's alive. And it gave them tremendous confidence in their faith. Now... We're a couple thousand years removed from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But is the resurrection any less real today than it was 2,000 years ago? In fact, I would tell you we could have even more confidence in the resurrection today, 2,000 years ago, than they could back then. You say, why? They saw him. 
You know what? For 2,000 years ago, people have been searching for his bones. 2,000 years, people have been looking for evidence that Jesus is still in the grave. They still haven't found it. There's empty tombs. Well, maybe this is the one. You can go today and visit what they think might be the garden tomb there in the garden outside of Jerusalem. But they can't find any evidence of Jesus' body. Why? Because he's not there. He's risen. See, these disciples were confident in their faith. This is what happens in a disciple-making relationship. There's the giving of the word. There's the receiving of the word. Then there's the growth, the spiritual growth in confidence. And then that last phrase of verse 8, And hath believed that thou didst send me. I would tell you then, we see this. These disciples continued on in the truth. And you see that as you study out their lives later on into the book of Acts and into the epistles as these disciples went on faithfully for God. So we see here the people of disciple making, the promise of disciple making, and the process of disciple making. But really this is just an introduction to what Jesus is going to pray now. So I want us to get down past the introduction into the message. Right? Every message has to have an introduction before you get to your point. Here we go. Let's get to the big point. But that was an important introduction. It could stand alone as its own message. But I want us to focus on the prayer that Jesus prayed. Look down with me, if you will, at verse number 9. You say, how do you know this is getting into the prayer? Well, look at the second word. <laughs> I pray for them. I pray not for the world, so this prayer is not specifically for those outside of the faith. He's praying specifically for his disciples. He says, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And then it says in verse 10, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Jesus tells us specifically who he's praying for here. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for those that God had given to them, to him. And he acknowledges at the end of verse 9, they are thine. Jesus is saying, these are not just my disciples. These are yours, God. That ought to be our attitude. With anybody that the Lord allows us to lead to Christ and lead forward in their relationship with Christ. God, these aren't mine. These are yours. You've just given them to me. I'm just a steward. I don't own anybody. You know what? I don't even own myself. The Bible says I've been bought with a price. I'm Christ's. I'm God's. I'm not my own. And you're not your own either. Don't live your life like you own your life. If you've been saved, you are now the Lord's. Live it for Him. So what does He do then? Look at verse number 11. Jesus gets into the specific prayer requests for his disciples. He says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. As we read through the rest of this prayer and as we study this this morning, I think you're going to see two 
big prayer requests that Jesus prayed for his disciples. Within those big requests, there's some detail to them. These are the two big points this morning. He prays that God would preserve, there's a prayer of preservation, that God would preserve his disciples. That's the first, and we see four or five different prayers of preserving different things about his disciples. And then towards the end of his prayer, we'll see another three things that he prayed that God would sanctify. There's a prayer of preservation and a prayer of sanctification. You say those are both really big words and it's only 1040 on a Sunday morning. Don't worry, I'll define those more as we get into it. So there's a prayer of preservation, prayer of sanctification. In verses 11 and 12, we see Jesus praying that the faith of his disciples would be preserved. I just read verse 11. Jesus said there in the middle of the verse, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. He says, God, keep those. Lord, you gave them to me. Lord, you hold on to them. You keep them. You preserve them. Don't let them go. Why? What's the purpose? He says that they may be one as we are. He wanted them to come into the unity that Christ has with the Father. Jesus says, I want the disciples to have that same kind of unity with God and with each other. You see, our unity this morning is not just we're all members of the same church or that we all showed up in the same building at the same place on a Sunday morning or that we all look the same or even speak the same language. Our unity this morning can only be found in Christ. Jesus is praying that they would be kept in their faith. He says, keep through thine own name. Now, in the Bible, we often see reference to to praying in Jesus' name, or we see someone say, in the name of Jesus, may this take place. What does that really mean? Is there some magic formula that we're invoking when we speak the name of God? When the Bible referred to somebody's name in this way, it was really referring to everything about them, their character, who they were and what they did. You see, when we pray in Jesus' name, we're begging God and we're praying to God on the behalf of what Christ did for us on the cross. When Jesus is praying to God, He says, keep them by your name. Keep them through thine own name. He's praying, saying, God, because of who you are, because of your power, because of your glory, because of your omniscience, your all knowledge and your all present self, keep them, hold on to them because of who you are. God keeps us because it's his character to do so. God holds on to those who have trusted in him for salvation because it's what he said he would do. He says in verse 12 then, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition. Who was that? Well, we know him. His name is Judas Iscariot. He was lost of his own choice to be lost. He had every opportunity to come to Christ. He walked with him. He talked with him. Jesus even entrusted him with the finances. Yet he turned his back on him. He betrayed him. 
How sad. Folks, there are those who haven't heard of Christ because they haven't had the opportunity to. And we ought to do our very best to go tell them so that everybody might have the opportunity to hear that Jesus saves and hear who God is. But there are many who have had plenty of opportunity and yet are still lost. Don't let that be you. Turn to Christ. It's not too late. But it could be too late if you let it go and don't turn to Christ before you go. Before you go because you don't know what could happen. There's the preservation of faith. Jesus says, keep them through thine own name. Then we see in verse 13, he prays for the preservation of their joy. Look at verse 13. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus is praying that their joy, or that his joy, would be fulfilled in them. I love the verse that says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. What is joy? Is it the same thing as, boy, that person just happy all the time? Well, maybe they're happy all the time because they never have any problems. Joy is the ability to overcome the difficulties of life and the struggles of day-to-day living with a confident assurance that God is in charge and that what He says will come to pass. And I can keep a positive outlook because my outlook is on Him. It's not just about, as some people say, well, you just got to have a positive mental attitude. You know, just keep that positive attitude and you can go far. Some people say, no, you're, you're living in a make-believe world. No, that really is bad, and there are really bad things. This Joy is not a failure to acknowledge that there's problems. Joy is not a failure to acknowledge that things are going wrong. Joy is rather to say, no, I serve a God who's bigger than the problems. I serve a God who's in charge of everything. I serve a God who Jesus rose again from the dead, and my loved one may be gone, but I know I'll see him again because they're with Christ. Joy says... Yes, I don't have enough money to pay my bills, but God is going to supply my need. He's going to take care of what I need. I may not have everything I want. It may not be very comfortable. It may not be enjoyable in the moment, but God's going to take care of me. That's joy. Jesus' prayer is that their joy, that they would keep them in joy, the preservation of their joy. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice See, joy will come when you realize that what Christ has done for you was enough to give you victory over this world. This world will bring a lot of things, struggle, pain, death. But Christ has overcome the world. You can just go back just a little bit back in your Bible to verse number 33 of John chapter 16, where Jesus told his disciples, Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. I don't know everything every person in this room is going through. I know some of the things. I would encourage you with the same thought. Be of good cheer. Jesus prayed that his disciples' joy would be fulfilled in him. Be of good cheer. He has overcome the world. So there's the preservation of their faith. There's the preservation of joy. 
Look at verses 14 and 15. We see his prayer for the preservation of righteousness. Verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. You study that out, it's it's the evil one. It's the, the devil who would come after us and tempt us and bring struggle. He's praying that their righteousness would be pervert, preserved, not that they would be removed out of the problem. Not that God would necessarily take away the temptation. But isn't the scripture, doesn't it say, that he will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it? See, God doesn't promise to just take you out of the world right now. Now He will someday. Won't that be a great day? Takes us home to heaven. Well, we'll be out of this world. No more pain, no more suffering. Well, that'll be a great day. We live here in this world, and I, say, I believe sometimes as human beings, because we don't know any different, we hold on so tightly to the things of this world, thinking that there could be nothing better than this. So whenever we get into a hard time, God, just take me out of this hard time. God, help me get over this. God, help me not deal with this sickness. God, take this, heal this, do this, do that. God's plan many times is not to take us out of it, but rather to take us through it. Now, there will be a day when he takes us out of it all. But as long as he's got you here in it, trust him that he's got a purpose for you and for others. And it's to bring him glory by pointing others to Christ. And you know, that's what happens when you go through something difficult and you still have joy in the Lord. People say, I need to know what's different about that person. This was, this was such an encouragement to me this week. I got a text from Katie Spencer on Wednesday, a long series of texts. Some of you are like that. You don't write short texts. You write books. That's a good thing. I don't mind them. I can write them back. In fact, I've got it hooked up to my computer now, so if you ever get a long text from me, I didn't type it with my thumbs. I typed it on a keyboard, and it's so much faster that way. And uh, so you're like, how's he texting so fast? It's because I'm not using two fingers. I'm using ten, okay? And uh, so I'm going a lot faster than, than the person with two fingers. Anyway, she sends me this long text. She said, I'm so thankful for the message last Sunday on prayer. She said, one of the people that is a co-worker of ours took their life this past week. So everybody came to work, they didn't know what to do. Can you imagine going to work and all of a sudden somebody everybody knew, everybody liked, everybody thought there weren't any problem. And they're gone. Nobody knew what to do. Katie said, you know, I took some notes last Sunday and pastor shared with some, thing, uh, uh, some things about prayer. She said, I wrote down some principles about prayer, and she, she got to share that with her whole office this week. Now, praise the Lord for the boldness on her part to do that. But isn't it wonderful that God gives us everything we need? Not always to take us out of our problem, but that we can have Him to get us through the problem. 
you know, Katie's had a lot of health things, and she's not able co- always able to come. In fact, today she had an issue with another friend, and she was helping them and various things. But I'm thankful for a lady that will take the truth of God's word and even have it with her to be able to share with her coworkers at work. What a blessing. You don't always get those opportunities every day, but she had it and she was ready because she had the truth from God's word. See, he's praying that their righteousness would be preserved. In other words, that God would help you through the difficulty to stay right, to stay faithful, to stay close in your walk with God. See, when you're tempted to do wrong, you don't have to give in to it. Why? Because you have the strength that only God can give. But you've got to live in his strength. Walk with the Lord in a close relationship with him. Then we see this prayer of preservation for heaven. Look at verses 14 and 16. Verse 14 says, I've given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world. Jesus says, they're not of the world. You say, yeah, I am. This is where I'm at. He says, no, you have a heavenly home. We're no longer citizens of this world. We're strangers and aliens here. My citizenship is in heaven. And then he says in verse 16, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Isn't it wonderful to think that Jesus is praying that God, keep these because they're yours. Keep these disciples because... They're not of this world, they're they're of another world. What a wonderful prayer. I would encourage you as you think not just of Christ praying for his disciples, but you in praying for other Christians. You for as you pray for other believers, shouldn't we also be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ that God would preserve their faith, give them confidence to stand faithfully for him? We also can pray that God would preserve each other's joy. Lord, I know they're going through some difficult times right now. Preserve their joy. Help them to know that they can find their joy in you. What a wonderful prayer. I tell you, if you'll take these principles, I've been taking this myself, and you'll apply these to your prayer life, you'll put these on your prayer list and see how you can better pray for them, it'll enrich your prayer life. It'll give you so much more to talk to God about. Could we be praying for others that God would preserve their righteousness? Lord, they're going through something very difficult right now. Help them to stay faithful. Help them to stay right. Keep them from the evil. We pray that God would preserve them for heaven. Lord, help them to to be reminded they're not of this world. This world is a mess. Help them to understand their citizenship is in heaven. What a wonderful prayer. So we see the prayer of preservation. But then in the last few verses, verses 17 through 19, we see a prayer for sanctification. Jesus says in John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus also said this in 
John 14 and verse 6, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is the Word, is the truth. Jesus teaches us who God is. And Jesus, his prayer for sanctification is they would be sanctified through truth. Now, I said I would define these. Sanctification, this is being cleaned up or being set apart for something. And really, those two things fit together, right? If you were to be outside working all day and you came in because it was time to eat, you would probably go wash your hands. Depending on how hard you worked outside, you might take a shower, you're getting cleaned up. You're washing off the dirt. You're being sanctified. But sanctification also has the idea of being set apart for something else, to be used for something special. In a sense, that's why you wash your hands, right? Because they're, you're sanctifying them. You're cleaning them up so that they can be used to put food in your mouth. And God wants to do that sanctifying process in us as well. Now, I believe in something that... The theological term would be this, progressive sanctification. That God does a work in people's lives over a period of time. Yes, there's a time when you trusted Christ as your Savior. So before God, your sins are all washed away. They're all forgiven. They're as far as the east is from the west. He'll remember them no more. But then as I grow in my faith, I continue, or I should continue to grow to be more like Christ, being sanctified, allowing God to work through those bad habits and to help me deal with some of those struggles so that I can become more like Christ as I grow in my relationship with Him. Jesus' prayer for His disciples, what they would be sanctified, cleaned up, set apart. How? Through the truth. My prayer for you is that you would allow God's Word, the truth, to sanctify you, to clean you, to set you apart for His service. How do you know what the truth is? Study God's Word. If it's in God's Word, it's true. If you can't find it in the Word of God, it's not true. Pretty simple. We know it's true because it's in the Word of God. Study God's Word. Study the truth. Know the truth. Be sanctified through the truth. And I would tell you, it's one thing to just know it. It's another thing to live it. It's the idea of sanctification, right? There's a process of not just head knowledge, but then living it out in my daily life. Folks, you could be the smartest person in the room. You could have all the degrees and studied your Bible your whole life. And if you know it all, you're just a hearer of the word. The Bible says be doers also. I would much rather have someone who knows very little and tries to live it out faithfully than someone who knows a lot and doesn't do anything with it. But that's not an excuse to just only know a little. Keep studying, keep learning, right? Don't stay there. Don't stay there. But wouldn't you rather have a child who's obedient and submissive and loving to their parents who maybe they don't know very much, they're just a little child, than have to some, some big old grown-up kid who's really strong and really smart but is worthless and won't help anybody? I mean, come on, that's easy, right? Some of us, that's how our Christian life is. We're just a big, big old worthless Christian because we know a lot, but we don't live it. 
Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. His prayer for sanctification. Then we see his prayer of sanctification continues on in verse 18. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. I would say he's praying for sanctification. They'd be cleaned up and set apart so that they could be sent out. That's being set apart for something special. To be sent. Where does he want them to be sent? He says, Jesus says, as you've sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. Hey, this is convicting. All right, God, so if you're speaking to me personally about this verse, as you've sent me here to start this church, may God send people out of here to start more churches. Right? As you've sent me to share the gospel with my neighbor, may I send some of those people to reach their neighbors with the gospel. Take it personally, right? As God has sent you to lead a family, may you raise children who will then go on and lead their families to Christ. Jesus is praying for His disciples. He says, Lord, as you've sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. Tell you, for some of us, we'd be mighty afraid maybe to send out the product of our, you know, our disciples into the world because they're, well, they're not ready. Well, we better be getting them ready. God just might send them out. You know, the Lord did that to the church at Jerusalem in the book of Acts. Church of Jerusalem was growing. The Bible says the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. People were saved. Church was growing. God was blessing. It was exciting. Things were moving. Things were going somewhere. And then God brought some great persecution there in the church of Jerusalem, and God scattered them out. He sent them out. He sent them out. Folks, don't get comfortable. Say, this doesn't sound good. It is good because it's what God wants. It's what God wants. But he's praying that God would sanctify them to be sent. I would tell you, that's why the Lord has us in the disciple-making process here at Arise Baptist Church. It's not to be saved to sit. It's to be saved, sanctified, so you can be sent. You say, so you're telling me to leave the church? No, I'm saying go talk to your neighbor. Go, go across the street. Have your sermon notes at work, and so when the opportunity comes, you can share, people, share with people the truth. Right? Now, what it might mean for some of you, though, is God may say, no, it's time to now pack the bag and go to another state, go to another country, go around the world. I could never do that. You don't know what you could or couldn't do. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I ought to be willing to go wherever he'd send me to go. Jesus' prayer of sanctification, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. His prayer to sanctify them to be sent. And then finally, verse 19, we see, he says, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Jesus' prayer of sanctification was that he would be sanctified so that he could continue to sanctify others. Think about that. That's what he says right here in verse 19. 
He says, for their sake. So Jesus, for the purpose or for the sake of his disciples, he says, I'm sanctifying myself. I'm setting myself apart. What was Jesus setting himself apart to do or setting himself aside to do? To die on the cross for their sins. For their sakes, I sanctify myself. Jesus died for you. He died for me. He died for his disciples. For God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus didn't die for himself. He didn't have to die for himself. He was perfect. Jesus died for you. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that he sanctified himself for their sake. Why? That they also might be sanctified through the truth. Jesus died. He sanctified himself so that you could be sanctified. Again, as we're praying for other believers And I don't think this is a stretch. As I look at this passage, I think, God, what would you have me be sanctified or set apart or cleaned up to do so that I might help others do what God would have them do? God, what what sacrifice would you ask me to make? What service would you have me to perform? Where would you have me to go? Who do you want me to talk to, Lord, and share the truth with so that they might be sanctified as well you notice in this prayer yes the first five verses jesus is praying for himself but those weren't selfish words in his prayer for himself it was prayer that god would give him the strength that god would help him through that god would be with him and not leave him and then in these next verses 6 through 19 jesus prayer is still not selfish at all it's all about lord Help me to help them. Lord, use them in your service. I would say there needs to be a transition in some of our lives. Lord, I need the help, but help me so I can help others. Lord, work in me so that I can share the truth with somebody else. Lord, if you bless me, I'll use it to serve you. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Two-part prayer. Preservation. Sanctification. To me, as I studied this and been thinking about this for several weeks now, there's so much in this for our lives. I think praying like this would revolutionize our prayer lives. I think praying like this would also revolutionize how we serve and what we do for the Lord. I think praying like this allow us to live for the glory of God. I don't know what God's maybe spoken to your heart about this morning. Maybe some of you this morning say, I I just need to be saved. That's where it's got to start. If you know Christ is your Savior, though, know that Christ is praying for you to be preserved, to be kept. Christ prays for us that we would be sanctified. And how can we then take that truth Take it to the world. God, if you want to send me, I'll go. God, if you want to use me, use me. God, if you need something from me, you you gave it to me in the first place. I'll just give it back to you. Not my will, but thine be done. Right? May we have that attitude. Let's bow for prayer this morning.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth. Your word is true. Pray that you'd help us to take the truth and live it. Lord, I do not want to be a Christian that knows the truth and fails to live it. Lord, you've given us so much. We have a free country to worship you. We have an air-conditioned building. Well, we have people. We have seats to sit on. We, we just have so much. I know there are people hurting this month. I pray that you give them strength. Preserve their faith. Keep them from the evil. Lord, I pray for those who are dealing with loss. Preserve their joy. Lord, we need to be sanctified through your truth. We need to know the truth and live it. We need to be set apart to serve you wherever you would have us go. And Lord, we need to be set apart even in our own lives so that we might point others to you. Help us to live this out. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.